That file has been sitting in a folder with Swedish words attached to it, and I forgot what it was. It's been sitting there since the middle of March, and I finally pulled it out. I was like, what the hell was this? And I played it. It's like, oh, it's that. It's that Swedish song that a guy named Kevin sent to me back in March uh, that I forgot about. And I'm sorry, Kevin, but I hope you still listen to the podcast. Uh, Kevin, I 
think is maybe American. I'm not sure. Maybe British, maybe Swedish. And he just writes in English perfectly. But in any case, he uh, he says that the song, he, he went through some emotional stuff, went through a breakup, and um, things worked out really well in the end. And uh, I'm really happy for him in that respect because it looked kind of dark there for a while. Um, he says, to keep things short, today we're good friends and we share custody of our child. She now lives with another woman and uh, I've started dating and feel like I've come to be a great single dad and I'm happy with my new life. So my advice to all men out there, be true to your feelings, allow yourself to be sad and cry, but also find things that make you happy and realize that the old cliche about time healing all wounds has some truth to it. And don't forget to drink beer with friends and get a fucking workout in every now and then. Okay, uh, his band is called Obsklassen, and that was them. And I don't know the song. It says, Du och jag var varda nagot mer, or something like that, uh, which roughly translates to you and I were worth something more. So I guess it's a song. He says, the theme of the song is getting over a breakup and finding happiness after a relationship. So if you're in Sweden, check out Obsklassen. And uh, go go listen to them if they're playing in a bar near you. And buy Kevin a beer for me, please. All right. Uh, let's play some of your, your MP3s. I'm getting so many of them that I'm just going to keep playing several of them per episode. All right. Here we go. Hi there. My name is Casey Devine. I am a midwife in New Jersey. And I'm on my way home from a home birth. It's dawn. Baby was born at 2.51. And I do this drive a lot in the middle of the night or in the early morning hours because babies love to be born in the middle of the night. And your podcast gets me through this drive and gets me home safely. I appreciate that more than you can know. Thanks. Bye. Hey Chris and fellow strangers, just a shout out from across the Pacific to comfort you to know that there's a stronghold of imaginaries here in Australia, sitting alone in a dark and deserted university office tonight on a Saturday, procrastinating together with uh, my mate Carl Young and Friedrich Nietzsche here. If only we had some wine. Hola, Chris. ¿Qué tal? Hola, Chris. Guapo. <laughs> this is Tom and Alithia. And we're at the Giants Causeway in Northern Ireland. It's um, a bit of a windy day, but it's, it's nice. We're here for the weekend just to um, see the sights. I uh, hope you're well. Hope your listeners are well. And release that fucking book. Man, do it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Good day, Dr. Christopher Ryan. I'm at home because the university classes I teach were canceled. I live in northern Osaka Prefecture, and we just had a big earthquake yesterday. Um, few, Many people were injured. Actually, a few people's lives were lost, um, which is really tragic. So it just gave me a renewed sense of appreciation for every moment that we have here. I do love spending many moments 
listening to your podcast, the insightful conversations with such a beautiful variety of, of human beings. Um, and I find your, your voice and demeanor extremely soothing, um, but also intellectually stimulating as well. So thank you very much and keep up the good work. Hey, Chris. Hey, everybody in the Tangentially Speaking family and in the global podcast revolution. I just walk in the dog in the UK, England, in Lincoln City. Family are all safe and sound at home, fit and healthy. The sun's shining. And it has been for kind of like nine days now, which is unheard of really in the UK. And you just really notice how it brings out the best in people. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say it's just awesome learning every single day from your podcast and so many others across the universe interconnecting with people learning from people i'll never ever meet but somehow hold an affinity for and all the best wishes in the world everybody love you all take care keep growing keep learning peace radio mano papachango episode is with abby martin who's a journalist uh badass journalist she's the presenter of the empire file she's uh, does investigative journalism um she's the, that's carried by telesur in english and on youtube she used to host a show called breaking the set on rt america which is russian tv which is these days sort of known as a propaganda arm of Vladimir Putin, but uh, I never saw anything on her show that was propaganda. Um, and so I don't hold her feet to the fire for that. I think that journalists, you know, if you start looking at who pays journalists, you run into lots of problems very quickly. You know, I don't pick your journalist. Who's paying them? Well, Who's paying them is the people who put the ads on that TV channel or that magazine or that newspaper. And who's that? Well, those are the companies that we're supposed to be reporting about. And so I think there's conflict of interest in almost every type of journalism, mainstream journalism that you can imagine, which gets back to why I don't do advertising on this podcast. Now, I do not in any way equate this little handcrafted farm to table podcast that I'm putting out with any sort of major media that's changing the world and reaching millions of people and so on. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not self aggrandizing, but I do think it's kind of cool to, uh, you know, just have this little example of a way that you can do something that does reach people that does leverage technology in a way that doesn't rely on sucking at the teat of corporate America, as they say. Um, so yeah, I know it's not changing the world, but it's an example. It shows it can be done and maybe people with bigger platforms 
will look at it and say, shit, if Chris can do that, maybe I can do it. And they certainly can do it. And they can make a lot more money than I'm making because they have bigger platforms. Um, so anyway, Abby Martin, she's great. And you people are great. These things you're sending me are so great. Uh, I hope it's I hope it's interesting for you. I hope I'm not boring you with four or five of them. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's cool to hear people all over the world doing different things, uh, you know, coming from a library in Australia or a mountaintop in Colorado or, you know, a guy walking his dog in the UK or the, the couple in Northern Ireland. Uh, it, she sounded Spanish to me. He certainly sounded Irish. Uh, you know, did book, book. How did he say book? I, I can't do it. Anyway, uh, I love that stuff. So thank you. Keep keep sending those to me. Uh, all you got to do is record it on your phone, 20, 30 seconds max. Just say who you are, what you're doing. Say, you know, shout out to the audience. Uh, it's not really to me. I mean, it's nice to that it comes to me and I get to listen to it, but it's really to the other listeners. I think that's that's the cooler thing that, uh, you know, it's like you guys are all connecting with each other. That's what I like doing in life. It's funny. I was talking to a friend the other night, and uh, he's known me a long time, and he pointed out that when we had parties in Spain or wherever, they were the only place where certain people would meet each other, like people from totally different worlds. If they came to a party that Cassie and I were throwing, uh, they would they knew that they would be meeting people from totally different worlds, but that they would be good people. And I kind of see this podcast as an extension of that same thing. I'm not very good at giving gifts, but I'm good at introducing friends to each other. So that's what I'm trying to do with these things. Uh, what else can I tell you? We are about to leave. My dad is doing uh, better. Thank you for everybody who reached out and sent, um, positive energy. It worked. He's doing better. He's in a rehab facility with 24 seven care for at least the next couple of weeks. So we're going to take advantage of that fact. And the fact that I haven't heard back from my publisher yet, um, on the, uh, civilized to death manuscript. So there's not much I can do until I hear back from, from them. And, there's this little window that we're going to jump through and drive to uh, Colorado. And uh, I've never been to Western Colorado and the Rockies there. So we're going to jump out there and see some of that part of the country cruise around. I've been in contact with uh, probably half a dozen or more people in Colorado, some podcasts that I'm going to be recording out there with uh, some really interesting folks, some fantastic stories that I'm looking forward to bringing to you and, uh, and discovering myself, of course. And of course there'll be people we meet on the road that we can't even anticipate like that guy we met at the rest stop who was riding his bike across the country, training to go and do the silk route. You know, I, I love those sorts of things. So part of it's the destination and part of it's just the process. We'll be leaving tomorrow, uh, which is Thursday. Today's Wednesday. I'm going to put this up as soon as I finish this little edit here and uh yeah we'll be on the road for i don't know anywhere from a week to three weeks depending on how things develop so you'll be hearing from me out there next time 
Uh, that's about it. I'm just going to go ahead and, and get into this. I'm not going to comment on the fact that a Russian agent is in the White House, although that's really something. I'll tell you. It's really something. Uh, yeah. If you want to help support this podcast, patreon.com, baby. Go to Patreon, enter your credit card once, and just say, give Chris five bucks, 20 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever it is, seven bucks. It doesn't have to be a multiple of five per month, and that will help me very much because it tells me what kind of budget I have, whether I can afford to fly somewhere or not. Speaking of which, I just did a podcast with Chef Pete Evans. If you're in Australia, you probably know who he is. Uh, if you're not in Australia, or even if you are, I would recommend you take a look at a documentary on Netflix called The Magic Pill. It's about diet and how the introduction of the Western diet to some indigenous people in Australia has affected their health dramatically in just a few generations. And, um, and also how changing the diet to a more paleolithic kind of model, and I'm not talking about the paleo diet per se, but a more, a, a diet more in alignment with what our, the homo sapien animal evolved to eat, um, affects things like severe autism potentially, and um, other more obvious health issues, diabetes, obesity, um, high blood pressure, and so on. It's a very interesting documentary, highly recommended, um, and uh, Pete Evans produced it, and then I just did his podcast a few days ago. He's in Australia. We did it on um, on the internet, and it was great, but it reminded me how important it is for me to do this podcast in person, even though we get, you know, there are other there are problems that were, you, you can hear our hands moving on the microphones, you can hear background noise, you know, whatever. Um, but being in a room with someone is so different from doing it on the internet. I mean, his voice was dropping out and there were times where I only heard half his question. And so I was sort of guessing what the rest of it was. And, and there's just none of the flow. And I think there's an opportunity to, to sort of dance intellectually and, and emotionally when you're in a room with someone, you can see, what they're feeling. You can see if they're getting tired. You can see if they're opening up. You can feel if they trust you, if they're, if they're hesitant. These are things that are so important in conversation for me. And so it's really important for me to be able to go to where people are and your support on Patreon and in other ways that you support through PayPal or um, using the Amazon affiliate link, however you do it, these things are really helpful because it gives me a budget that I know I've got every month. And so I can decide to fly somewhere to be in the same room with someone and bring that conversation to you. I'm going to fly to New York in September, in fact, uh, for just that reason. So thank you very much for all your support for the podcast and for your kind words that you're sending in, in these, uh, MP3 files. I am going to turn it over now to Abby Martin and me. And I'm going to play you out with another song by uh, Dupont, Ed Dupont. Um, 
I played his song Good American Life a couple episodes back with um, the tank commander because his songs are often a commentary on uh, American life and militarism and so on. I'm going to play another song by him that I think I may have played on the podcast in the past. I'm not sure, but if so, it was a long time ago. The song's called Flag, and uh, again, it's it's um, an insightful look at what it means to be American these days and uh, some of the sacrifices that people are making on the ground when in the upper echelons of government, it's a whole different story. All right. Thank you for listening. I hope the world is treating you with the dignity and respect you deserve. See you next time. The flag goes up as the sun comes down. Jets go by before we hear the sound Rise to our feet As if to say Red, white and blue Till I die in day The flag waves high When the tax man comes Says you gotta pay Just to be someone Yeah, it'll cost you plenty If you want to stay Red, white, and blue Till you die in day Now the flag hangs still When the wind don't blow TV is on to let the people know they gotta toe the line. Yeah, there's a debt to pay. Red, white, and blue till their dying day. Flag comes down and they fold it nice and hand it to somebody's wife. And nothing to do, nothing to say. It's red, white, and blue till his dying day. Flag goes up as the sun comes down. And jets go by before we hear the sound. Rise to our feet as if to say, Red, white, and blue, till I die in day. Red, white, and blue, till I die.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I've just unplugged the fucking refrigerator. <laughs> I am here in Culver City, beautiful Culver City, California, with Abby Martin, one of the uh, journalists that I respect most in the world today. There are too few like you. Thanks, Chris. If you look up Speak Truth to Power, your your photo should be there. <laughs> um Thanks for doing this. Thank you for I, having been me on. Chasing you around for a long time. I know. Now. Last time I saw you was at the Zeitgeist thing, and then you were on the show breaking the set years back. So years it's good back. To see you. Yeah, and I was I was disappointed when they invited me to do that. I was like, oh, I'm going to get to meet Abby, and then it's like, no, it's a remote <laughs> you're thing. A black hole. <laughs> exactly, with an earpiece in, trying to <laughs> seem. That that whole earpiece remote interview thing, I I haven't done that enough to be used to it yet. That was horrible. That's horrible. Yeah, when people do it and they just kill it, I'm like, I don't know how you do that because you're literally looking at just a a black hole, this vortex, and then it's just the echo, and it's just very discombobulating. Weird delays and shit. Like, I don't even do this podcast on Skype. Really? It would be much easier in a way. But I just like being in a room with someone, mm-hmm. you know, even talking on phones. Like, I just like, mm-hmm. ah, fuck it. I, I'm always trying. Like, people think I'm rude because I am rude. But on the phone, <laughs> I'm just like, ah, get me off this fucking phone, you know? Yeah. You're probably not. This is so weird getting older. It's so weird. Yeah. Like, you, you, the world you grew up in fades away. But like phones that had cables. They were a pleasure to talk. I'd be on the phone all night talking to some twisting your year old. finger around the little cable. Speaking of fucking phones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't imagine how surreal it is. I mean, it's already surreal enough for me growing up on you know Nintendo to see the video mm. games how they are today, and then just cell phones in general. I mean, I think that we I have the luxury of at least being the last generation before the cell phones took up Mm. everything. So I kind of remember what privacy was like, but a lot of people younger than me, I mean, they have no concept of what that world was like. It's so strange to think like that they don't feel the loss of that, you know? Right. It's a scary thing how humans get used to things. So, so quickly. And then, and then there's a, I forget what the name for this is. It's a scientific concept, a creeping baseline concept or something like Mm -hmm. that, where, you know, if you grow up, you compare the world to the world that you grew up in. So if you grew up and there were frogs in all the streams, as in my case, I used to catch frogs when I was a kid. That's what we do for fun, go down to the stream and mm-hmm. you know, try to catch frogs. And now there are no frogs. But kids now, just like they don't notice the absence of something they've never seen. So a lot, you know, I think about this when I'm driving around and you see these mountains, you know, like especially in Spain, we were talking, I lived in Spain for a long time, or even here up in Oregon, you mm-hmm. see these, these mountains, you know, with grasses growing on them and you say, oh, it's so beautiful. Well, it is beautiful, but you think it, it looked like that 200 years ago, but it didn't. Those mountains were covered in forests 200 years ago. What you're seeing now are mountains that have been clear cut repeatedly, topsoil washed away. And now we look at it and say, oh, it's a rocky mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it is now. And so we look at it and say it's beautiful, but what we're seeing is a skeleton taking yeah. it down fast here. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I mean, it's so true. Speaking of the the frog in a boiling pot of water, I mean, just walking around downtown LA, which is where I live, and it's just, it, 
the homelessness is so insane to me. And even just this morning, I was walking around and I was just like, the fact that we're just, we've accepted this. This yeah. is this is something that's completely normal to us. You don't even look at, I, I mean, it was like, how do we know these people aren't, there's not a dead body on the street. It's like a guy covered yeah. in a blanket. It's like, are you fucking okay, man? Like, yeah. what's going on here? And, and I was just thinking, this is this is the life that we live like right. this is the reality that you just this is all completely normalized we treat humans worse than animals and you know when the fires were going on in la chris i don't know if you were here for that but i found it really curious that the news was telling people you know leave water out for the animals that are mm. escaping the flames but for people who are crossing the desert you know refugees right. crossing the desert undocumented coming from mexico you know you either get killed or it's illegal it's now illegal to, to you get a, you, yeah. and, and you get a felony if you actually leave water out for the refugees who are walking across the desert and really what does that say about our society yeah yeah there are a lot of things we that are criminal things that are basic human decency have been made illegal that's a strange thing to think about I mean, I've been involved in the whole sort of psychedelic revolution for a long time. And the idea that, you know, some some guy who brings a bag of mushrooms to a Grateful Dead show should be in prison for 20 years. Right. It's like just absolutely <laughs> insane, you know. Isn't yeah. it surreal to live in this post-weed prohibition era? Did you know or did you kind of ever feel like it would happen this quickly? Or how do you feel about it? No, it's one of the few things that gives me hope is seeing that. And and uh, just yesterday, I watched Michael Pollan on Rogan's show. You know, Pollan has I this new book I just favorited out. your thing. I want to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It's yeah. really good. Um, you know, I heard him do Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And... Terry Gross, I think she's a very good interviewer, um, but she's such a good girl. And she's she I was never on her show to mm -hmm. promote Sex at Dawn, even though it was sort of a natural, you know, for my audience. And it's because she sex freaks her out. Sex and drugs. Mm -hmm. And you could just hear how fucking nervous she was. Mm -hmm. All this like nervous laughter and you know, like like there are some areas that that uh, sort of mainstream, well, I'm telling you something you know very well, that mainstream people just, like they're terrified to go near it. And so I think Michael Pollan's really good because he's a conduit to those people. They already respect him. If I wrote that book or you're reporting on psychedelics, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, our audience is mm -hmm. already with us, but mainstream people aren't going to hear it. But he's... I think it's really interesting that, that that's happening now. The head of the um, American Psychological Association at a conference a few years ago, giving this plenary presentation to the entire, you know, this is the largest organization mm -hmm. in the world for psychological professionals. He said that he entered the field of psychology or psychiatry, I don't remember, um, after an LSD trip. Wow. That it made him so fascinated with the brain that that directed his entire life's work. And he stood up and said that. In front That's of brilliant. I'm so happy that he said that. Yeah. You know, and there are people like Andrew Weil. I don't know if you know him, the alternative medicine doctor guru, the big white uh -huh. beard. You know, he's for years, all his first books are about um, consciousness and his entire career. He's refused to repudiate his respect and, um, 
you know, reverence for psychedelics, particularly. Well, a lot of these tech bros, you know, they love Burning Man and stuff, and they they talk about psychedelics helping awaken, yeah. you know, a lot of their genius, quote unquote. Um, but I, what one thing that I do find really inspirational today is maps. Yeah, Rick um, Doblin's an old buddy of mine. Oh no way! Um, I just hope that it helps people. I hope people are opened up to that research more quickly. Um, because I feel like it's taking a really long time for that the kind of psychedelic research to hit people. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's taking a long time, but as you said, it's also sort of incomprehensible that we've right. come this far, this totally. fast. When I met Rick, it was like 93, 94 probably. Mm-hmm. And I thought, dude, you're an admirable lunatic. Like, <laughs> I mean, I love what you're trying to do, but it's never gonna happen, you know? Not in your lifetime, not in my lifetime. And I was wrong. How do they get the, I mean, there's so many questions that I have for, about maps, but how do they even get these studies um, sanctioned and Well, interestingly, administered? Uh, they had more progress under Bush than they did under Clinton. Yeah. And that could be partly just because they were getting rolling and getting more funding and more momentum. But I believe Rick said to me, or maybe I read in an interview somewhere, that it's easier for Republican administrations to approve this stuff because they're not vulnerable to like, oh, you're just a hippie, you know, like yeah. Clinton had. Sort of like how Nixon could go to China, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it's easier for right-wing administrations to loosen things up to That's the left a little interesting. bit. Yeah, and then they've they've received major funding from some very wealthy people who've had very important experiences with psychedelics, including um, some people whose children or child have been saved because some psychedelics are very effective at um, helping people uh, kick opium, mm-hmm. opiate ad- mm-hmm. addictions. So, you know, if you're a multimillionaire and your kid's a junkie and you're worried they're going to die and they, you know, can't get can't get off in any other way. And then they go to Mexico and do an Ibogaine treatment and they're done. And like, hey, that's something you want to support. Right. And that happens a lot. Ibogaine has by far the highest um, recovery rate for kicking opiate addictions. Yeah. The fact that that's illegal is just it's criminal. Yeah. It yeah, is. it's absurd. I mean, in a country where 112 Americans are dying every day from opioid overdoses, yeah, uh, it's criminal. But it's funny, you know, like you, you said, how the marijuana thing happened. It's what's striking to me is that, you know, they always talked about like the sky was going to fall. Oh mm-hmm, my right, no, we can't right. do that. Everyone will be high all the time, yeah, and yeah. you know they'll be raping children, <laughs> and then it's legalized. Nothing happens, right? And yet the people who are against it, it's like they don't learn. Like, hey, you guys said the world was going to end. Look, everything's the same, except now there's all this extra tax money. Like, yeah, yeah, what yeah. else do you need? But they're need? still acting like it is the end of the world. Like Jeff Sessions is yeah. acting like, well, we still need to yeah. you know, treat these people like the worst criminals in the world. Which just shows you that they're not, even though they're they're conversing with arguments they're not motivated by argument. Right. You know? Right. They're just... It's a faith-based argument. I mean, that's the... I feel like that's the entire administration is that while Trump is this internet troll, um, the evangelicals are kind of taking over these Fifth Circuit judge uh, appointees and just the evangelical base and the, the people that he surrounded himself with, they really are... Um, they, they have faith-based arguments and nothing 
that you say will ever deter them. Right. That's the whole point of why they've hitched their wagon to Trump, and it's working. It seems to be working for them. It's scary for us. Yeah, it's amazing. Even though he will, I, I believe and hope, be uh, destroyed and end up in prison. Yeah. Those judges are still going to be there. Right, for decades. Fucking Gorsuch. Yeah. Like, they stole that. And the Democrats let them steal it because yes. the Democrats are total frauds. Yeah. So I was looking forward to having you on. I think I said this to you in an email or something. Like you're probably the first guest of 330 episodes or something I've done so far who I won't scare if I get political because I yeah. try to keep it under wraps because I'm so far beyond where most people are. But as I said to you, I've lived outside of the U.S. most of my life. Right. So, so you're used to, I look at this country yeah. from a European. I mean, I lived in Spain, a socialist country. I've been in Asia and Latin America a lot. Yeah. So I see this country on the global stage and most Americans just have no clue. Right. And so they're very confused. Like, why do people do they really dislike us for our freedoms? You know, <laughs> is it because is it we wear jeans and they don't like they, they can't get jeans like us? like no dude people have no idea what the u.s is doing in the world i mean this is the big problem chris is that we're so conditioned with this notion that we're better than everyone it's that it's a disease american exceptionalism is a disease and it's until you actually start traveling like you have um and and looking at how the rest of the world views us do you realize how america actually fits into the rest of the world because it's just like the myth of the liberal media if you hear that word repeated enough it's going to be harder to prove that the media is actually conservative right um so it's the same thing it's like when you hear that america is the best democracy in the world and we have the freest media it's really hard to say actually we're one of the worst countries in the world with one of the least you know the most restricted media and you're just conditioned to think that you're actually free um because people who think they're free make the best slaves and so it's it's tough. Um, it's it's a long journey, but at the same time, it's like we need to fucking break out of this spell soon because we don't have time. <laughs> We're running out of time. Um, we have numerous environmental cataclysmic catastrophes on the horizon. It's no longer where we can kind of just buy this time and and wait for quote unquote progress to take hold. Um, I'm not in the vein of like you know the lesser of two evils thing and you know progress is a long road and if we just keep voting Democrats, we'll get that long road of progress. No. I find it actually more dangerous to a certain extent to have a democratic leadership because they placate us and the rest of the world to sell empire in this like kind of nice shiny package. And that's what Obama did. He placated us and and everyone else into thinking, look, this is the real face of America. Um, And he's just a con artist. So Trump removes the mask. He just ripped it right off. And he's like, here's who America really is. This is what the empire represents to the rest of the world. Fucking catch up. Mm. So we're all shocked. And people are so dumbfounded still that Trump won. They still can't accept the reality of what brought us Trump. Um, And so they just blamed Russia. So that's where we're at today. I really I didn't know where we would be a year and a half into Trump's presidency. I certainly didn't think that I would be wading through mass hallucinations of people who are either think Russia is responsible for the reason that half of America is in poverty. You know, Russia is responsible for the epidemic of people being gunned down by police. That's Russia. That's Russia. How is Russia being held accountable for that? Well, for example, when you hear the whole Russia gate narrative, and I'm speaking from personal experience because I was part of the reason, the logic that the DNI report put out there as one of the reasons why Trump won. RT? RT, RT my show. Right. 
So you, Russia collusion has become such a broad term that um, it's so all-encompassing. It could mean the trolls online who are just bots coming from that St. Petersburg farm. It could mean the ads taken out on Facebook. It means a lot of things. It could mean the hacking of the DNC. But that's the problem oh, the, is when you... The NRA thing? The f- it money could, laundering? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think Trump has money laundered with a lot of different countries and entities. I don't think that yeah. Russia... I think Russia's the least of, of where the money laundering... Um, you know, scandal is. But but when the DNI report came out, and this was the the intelligence community representing seventeen agencies came out with their conclusive proof of Russian meddling. And I was waiting with bated breath as well as, you know, millions of Americans were to see what is the actual evidence here. And what the evidence was in this report, Chris, was basically just a crude analysis of RT honing in on my show, saying that this show fomented radical discontent with the country. And um, and basically here we are today where, yeah, covering fracking, covering issues like fracking inequality again. So when I bring it back to, you know, police killing people in the street, I mean, that that's the logic with the intelligence community is that covering these issues is Kremlin propaganda. Uh, because you're Kremlin stooge. US, exactly. Right, right. So you're Kremlin stooge. If you talk about this and now you're just a useful idiot, they've they've made it so all encompassing. You brought up the NFL thing. I mean, this is or NRA. If you just dissent about the NRA on Twitter, you, that that you're a Kremlin stooge. Hmm. If you support the take a knee protests, you're a Kremlin stooge. I mean, it, it, it is to the point of such lunacy um, that, you know, again, it's either the fake news if you're in the camp of these Trump maggot chuds or you're you're in the camp of everything's the fault of Putin. Maggot chuds? Maggot chuds. Maggot. Oh, <laughs> maggot. Make America great again. Okay. <laughs> They're maggot. Maggot chud, like ooh, new word. Is that what the kids are saying these days? I mean, wow. So it's a trip. Maggot chuds. All right, you said Obama's a con man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to talk about that a little bit because yeah. I'm. This is one area where I have not formed an opinion because I feel like if I met Obama, I think I'd like him. Yeah. I look at his wife. I look at his kids. I look at their the relation, the way they relate to each other, and I say that guy's he's a nice guy. I've read his memoirs, smart dude. Okay, so I feel like on a personal level, I respect him, I like him, I admire him. When I look at what happened in the world under his administration, the you know whistleblower mm-hmm. restrictions increasing, the deportations, the continuation of these pointless wars, the drone strikes, frequency increasing, the the, the just handing shit to the Republicans then I say, clearly this is a con. Like, if I didn't like the guy, it would be so obvious to me that this is just put a pretty face up there that people like me will resonate with to shut me up. So I'm confused. That's a good con. It, it is a good, a good con. con so I guess what what I'm asking you is, do you think he's in on the con, or do you think the con encompasses him as well? <clears throat> that he actually believes that he did the best he could do, and maybe, rightly, maybe he really did do the best he could do within the restrictions. It's tough to say because, you know, anyone who's short of being in the room with him, it is tough to say. I do think that he was groomed. I don't think that anyone can catapult to the presidency after being not even a first-term senator. So I do think that he was groomed by some sort of establishment 
apparatus. Well, what about Jimmy Carter? Jimmy Carter, um, look, every president has been a war criminal and Jimmy Carter made his share of mistakes too. I do, I, I, but again, I like Jimmy Carter. Like on a personal he level, I like anyone, him. Right? He's the only president who didn't, no one. But he had, there was covert shit going on under Jimmy sure. Carter too. But yeah, but does, I mean, he, does the president even know about that? So I think, I think to a certain extent, yeah, you're right that the presidency is is kind of um, their dupes in a larger sense as mm-hmm. well, you know, and I think that Trump probably has been duped a lot. But look, I don't want to like not give them credit for, for what happened. I think that with Obama it was a unique case because he came into several things. I mean, he came into the Bush presidency at the end of the Bush presidency when when really the we were on the precipice of some sort of like revolutionary, at least feeling mm. in the country. We were at, you know, pushed into the brink with these wars. The Bush administration really seemed like an evil incarnate. Like it really did seem <laughs> like amazing? it was insane. I'm taking it a second right now. <laughs> like, so crazy. <laughs> so I think that Obama comes in as a black man, right? And I think that in this racist country, and I actually didn't know how extreme it was until Obama left, until Trump gets in, basically um, becoming famous politically, declaring that Obama was a secret Muslim terrorist Kenya, Kenyan. So that that made me realize, look, the fact that this guy could catapult to the presidency and become so popular, literally accusing an African-American man of being like a secret Kenyan, um, that was really disturbing. So I feel like Trump really won on this racist wave um, in a reaction to Obama, but Obama himself, to a certain extent, I think that he he meant to do well. Like he he talks about how he was a leftist in college, and you know. Um, but look, um, he knew that he was being duped, or he was a dupe the second that he got in, because he said, "Let's look forward, not backward," with charging the Bush administration right. the criminals. Yeah. And here we have Gina Haspel. This is what happens when you don't prosecute torture. These people get fucking rewarded. Right now, we have a woman who literally sadistically loved to torture people who worked with John Kerryaka, who was put in prison for exposing torture. Meanwhile, the woman who oversaw the program is the fucking CIA director. So this is what happens, Obama. Um, but but let's not just stop there like you said i mean there's several things that he oversaw whether or not he was in on them or not it's like does it really matter um also no prosecutions on wall street zero well city group and and you know goldman sachs really did fund his campaign and and the banks that's how i knew he was going to be kind of a fake is when he got in aside from the we're not going to prosecute war criminals i saw who was paying his bills and sponsoring his campaign. And it was Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, you know, down the line. And these are the people who basically formulated his administration. And so you have to kind of know at that point, look, he's in on the con. And if he's not, he's fucking dumb. And I know we both know that he's not dumb. So we kind of knew, um, I think he knew his part to play. And he did as much as he felt he could do in that situation, because he didn't want to make waves. And let's not give him too much credit. He basically didn't he barely did enough standing up for the Republicans. He had control of the House and Senate the first two years. And the fact that he didn't even try and mm. he was trying to acquiesce so much toward the Republicans is a huge fault to me. Yeah. And I do blame him for that. He could have put it all on the line. I get why he didn't. He wanted to preserve his neutrality and to preserve him being kind of this middle of the road guy. He felt like it was radical enough to be the first black president. And guess what? It fucking wasn't. And instead, you kind of hijacked this realm of identity politics and just sold it under the the banner of corporatism and i really think this neoliberal this identity politics and neoliberalism mixed together is pushing back our country so much because that's when people feel disenfranchised and demoralized under like the clintons and the obamas they the problems are still there 
and you know and they see this radical language being hijacked and put to the forefront they see a black president and they and they you know i mean it's this is what further um not demoralizes but basically just drives a wedge i think in a society when you act like the people who are actually like i said half the country is living in poverty 70 percent of americans don't have a thousand dollars to their name right um and where are these people when you see democrats who claim to speak for you just forgetting about you you know so i think that um neoliberalism has really brought us to where we are today um and i do blame obama for that and i blame clinton for um losing to a, a reality star game show host and and, and you know it's no, it's not the fault of anyone else but hillary and the dnc for being so fucking tone deaf do you think do you think they're tone deaf or do you think uh let me let me offer yeah. a, a different framing of it right because you talked about how trump came in on a reactionary wave to, yeah. to the first black president but um, i believe i'm right about this that a large tens of millions of people who voted for Obama then voted for Trump. So those people can't be racist. They voted for the first black president. Mm -hmm. So my, I mean, I I followed the reading that you gave and I think that's probably accurate. And when I'm in a crazily good mood, like I slept really well (laughs) and it's a sunny day and I'm, you know, just everything looks great. Here's the way I look at it. Uh, and these days are very rare, really. Yeah. Um, that it's not that people are racist. It's not, I mean, there are, but not the majority. And it's not even that they're anti-immigrant or whatever. It's that they're so fed up with the packaged bullshit that they've been getting from both parties for so long that they're voting for fuck this, something else, none of the above. And Trump was none of the above. Obama was none of the above. Obama's like, okay, we got all these old, old fucking white men and then this dude who admitted that he snorted coke in college, right? Let's try that. And then I think the wave could have been not to the first black president. The wave could have been a reaction against, fuck, we voted for a black dude and even he's not doing anything different. It's the same bullshit. Fuck that. So now we got a racist, crazy con man? Fine. Him. It just feels like the the vote is no more of the same. Because this is bullshit. That's the problem with voting. Um, and I agree with you. Look, I, and I don't think there's a one-stop solution for how we got trump i think it's uh, it was the perfect storm it was like the obama reactionary stuff it was the let's fuck the system a lot of perfect storms it was trump talking out of both sides of his mouth being the con artist that he is dog whistling more honest than anyone else exactly that's the crazy talking about nafta talking about the iraq war right yeah talking about the iraq war i mean that's the problem with voting is that we'll never know why people actually voted because you vote once every two or four years and you don't actually put why and right. so there's no holding people accountable for voting them out. And there's no f- holding people accountable for what you, you put them in for. And so it just puts it in the ether. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it would be remiss to not acknowledge that Trump did play that anti-establishment card. And he did say, fuck all of this, you know, and, and, and look, I, I hate Hillary Clinton with a passion. I do not 
Like, I completely understand why people could not vote for this woman. I couldn't right. vote for her. Right. Um, and so, again, the perfect storm to actually run the most hated establishment candidate yeah. in the history of this country. And I actually thought it should have been illegal for her to run. I'm like, your husband already destroyed the fucking economy. Right. You guys are a partnership. Have you seen House of Cards? I mean, why do you, shouldn't it have been illegal? Like, she brags about being instrumental in the, in the coup in Honduras and all of these things. It's like you were working as an operator with your husband. So why should you? have run again and taken over this country for another eight years um but yeah i think it should have been illegal and also i absolutely don't blame people for for not for voting against her i guess at this point in trump's presidency and there was a lot of what ifs you know what is he going to do when he started to build his cabinet i saw okay it's actually going to be probably the most extreme um that i could have imagined and so a year and a half in i do think that you have to be comfortable with the racism and bigotry to still support this man. Um, but at the time of voting for him, I definitely, you know, I definitely think millions of people did the fuck you vote for sure. Yeah. Mega conned. Do, do you ever watch the um, Harlem Globetrotters? Yeah. Do you remember the team they play against? No. I think they're called the Washington Nationals, maybe. They Their job is to look like they're trying, but always right. lose. <laughs> That's the Democrats. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You've got one party that's like, we represent rich people and we throw some bones to these religious lunatics, but we don't really give a fuck about them. But yeah, we Mm -hmm. hate fags. Okay. Uh, And then you have the other party that's like, we represent working class, but Mm -hmm. not really because we're dependent on Goldman Sachs and, you know, Wall Street and whatever, all these millionaires for our financing. So we pretend... So one party is kind of real in a way, the Republicans, and one party's totally full of shit. Yeah, good point. So good it's point. the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington <laughs> good Nationals. Point. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. So looking at American politics from a global perspective, I think what's crazy is that people here and even we're doing it, right? We're talking about left and right and the Democrats and the you know Frank Zappa's great line about politics is the entertainment division of the military industrial complex mm-hmm. right it there is no left in america there's no and americans don't realize that because the way the game's set up it looks like there is there are two teams they seem to be competing but in fact there's no left here i mean right what do you think about bernie is he do you think he's real do you think he would have done anything or would he have just been neutralized like obama was um, I, I agree with Ralph Nader's assessment and Chris Hedges' assessment. When Bernie started to run, they both said that he was a sheepdog corralling legitimacy for the Democratic Party. Mm, and I couldn't agree line. more because when he endorsed Hillary, and I do like Bernie and I will vote for him and I will enthusiastically support him um, because I obviously think out of all the politicians, look, it's like him, Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich, these people for the longest time were fighting on behalf of of issues that I care about. And so I do find them um, to be real to an extent just because I can see their records and, and voting records and being out on the floor yeah. talking about these things. But um, but when he endorsed Hillary and, and refused to run as an independent, I knew that we were in for um, another con because, <clears throat> again, they, they use Bernie to corral, to corral legitimacy for then, but then, then they'll use him to basically say, no, vote for Hillary. We already know how they sabotage the primary. All these closed primaries, too. Mm. 
It's such a fucking joke the way that our election system. Yeah, the super delegates, the closed primaries. You have to know all of these different rules. I find it very interesting that I am told when someone is kidnapped in a different state, it's like, watch out for this Honda Accord and a da 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 license plate this. And I'm like, we can't be told in a mass text when we're voting, when the elections are. There's just mm. no incentive whatsoever to right. inform people. Can or it be have a people... national holiday? Yeah. Can, it, Come yeah. On. Can we just How like... transparent do you want to be? <laughs> it's so yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, but I do, I did like Bernie and I do like him. But again, I think that um, it's not going to go anywhere. And I think that we need to be aware of the limitations that the president, like, what could he even do? You know what I mean? They're going to destroy him. Um, I think that when Bernie ran um, his economic policies, even though I don't think that he is, look, you look at someone like Jeremy Corbyn in Britain, he is actually way more radical than Bernie Sanders, but he's like the comparison because of how, again, conservative America has become that we actually think Bernie Sanders is a radical socialist when he's really not. He's just a democratic socialist like the FDR, um, who, you know, we've just lost so much sight of with the union busting and all that in this country. But the limitations are are strong, and I don't think that Bernie would have gotten far, but I do think the Democrats will do everything in their power to squash him. Um, so if he decides to run again, we're going to see a repeat of what we saw in 2016. I don't think they're going to allow him to get into office because even though it's semi-cosmetic and menial, it's going to be detrimental to the, to the powers that be and the corporations that control everything because even giving workers $15 an hour minimum wage or, you know, strengthening unions, I mean, they've worked for decades to to destroy all of that, right? So, of course, they're not going to let someone in who can even eke remotely over to the left in terms of workers' uh, rights. So I think that we're going to see, um, we're going to see him crushed again but i again people are saying he might be too old to run now and maybe that was just his one one-off and you know we we know what happened there i met bernie sanders in 1983 and he looked exactly the same as he looks now so i don't know that he's gonna get old he right. hasn't aged in 30 years i don't know yeah he, he looked the same he sounded the same he said the same shit he was the mayor of burlington at that point the only socialist Amazing. mayor in the country. Amazing. Yeah. But but about not having a left in this country, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I people think I'm talking about Star Wars when I say the word empire. I mean, I can't even talk about the reality <laughs> of this country That's and how funny. what we've done around the world militarily yeah. without people's eyes glazing over. And I'm just like, the fact that you don't understand the notion of imperialism is disturbing to me considering that we are the empire and with our tax dollars are subjugating basically the majority of the planet. Um, so it's, you know, I feel like I'm in the fucking twilight zone yeah. and it's just getting weirder every day. So how did you become this badass that you are? <laughs> how, cause you're from California, right? Yeah. From California, from, uh, the Oakland area. Um, but I went to San Diego for college mm-hmm. and you know, just my typical selfish 18 year old girl who came from mostly a white suburb. And going to college and just having my mind blown. I mean, reading Zinn and Chomsky and Chalmers Johnson for the first time mm. and going to sociology. And it really does take that one teacher, right, to really right. get you on the right, the, the literature kick that all of a sudden you're like, what the fuck have I been doing for the last 18 years of my life? I didn't know what Palestine was until then. I mean, just right. it was just like a whole new world opened up to me. But even college had a lot of limitations. Um in terms of the radical nature of it, because you know San Diego is a huge military concentrated area, five military bases. So even though I got really, really into anti-war activism, 
it was hard to find a network and a community there because everyone just wants to fucking surf and party. Um, but but um, it all started when the Iraq war was happening. I bought into the Afghanistan war like a lot of Americans. I, you know, we're living in a post 9-11 hysteria um, being propagandized to. And then the Iraq war started being sold to us. One day, all the media just switched over uniformly. And I was like, why is all of a sudden the media talking about Saddam Hussein when we're, we just invaded Afghanistan and all of a sudden we're in a new country and we're, you know, blaming this other leader? And then, you know, we, we know what happened. The media sold us the Iraq war. Um, I'll never forget the bombing of Baghdad. I was, you know, people around me were cheering and I was crying. And I was just like, this is so disturbing that you can be cheering on like us bombing people that didn't do anything to us. And it just started from there, Chris. It took a long time to get where I am because I think the political awakening comes with a lot of different roadblocks and the journey is long it took me a really long time to figure out you know that I am more socialist minded and that you know it's just difficult it's difficult to figure out and navigate the the charts like first I was like okay it's just the Bush administration and then you realize that it's not just the Bush administration it's the Democrats too why did they lay, lay down like a carpet and not impeach these war criminals and then you realize why is the media doing this I thought the media cared about us and then you realize that the media is part of the machine it's a, essentially an arm of the empire it's a weapon that's used um, you know as an extension of the state and so we, we all know who's our friend and who's our foe when you watch the media you know it all, it's all laid out for us so then I realized, okay, if the media is complicit in this, what does that really mean? Um, and then you have to, you know, use media to get your information out there about any issue that you're passionate about. It doesn't matter if your issues, war, food, whatever. You have to have a people's media that's generating this information and putting it out there. And so I, that's when I got into media activism. I realized it doesn't matter. I can be out there in the corner handing out flyers. Like I have to create something that can generate this content and then distribute it in a meaningful way. But um, but war was always the generator, Chris. It always started with this vehement anti-war, anti-imperialist streak that brought me to media activism. But still, that drives me on a day-to-day basis. How old are you? 33. Do you think you're going to get weary? I haven't yet, and I and I, I, you know, I feel like I am a machine, <laughs> and I do smoke a lot of fucking weed. So that really is my my saving grace. Is I smoke a lot of weed, and sometimes I have too many vices, but um, it does fuel me. The knowledge every day, I'll say, you know, oh wow, I didn't know this. What else don't I know about this issue? And it's just a constant machine that has to keep going. I have to keep learning, and I have to keep doing this work. And it's not about me. It's about the world it's about future generations it's not about you know getting on the front cover of a magazine when you do this kind of work you realize that you're never going to get rewarded in the system that you're fighting obviously my voice and other voices like mine are expunged because they're a threat to the establishment and so we will always be on the margins fighting on the margins living on the margins and dying on the margins and i'm fine with that because it's you know we can't get trapped in our egos and and you know especially in the system it's so difficult because it's all about us it's about the individual you have to fucking make it you have to be popular kid go brand yourself go make it and that's hard that's really really hard to do um and so that's capitalism though that make and you feel like you're a loser and you you know you didn't make it well enough and so you blame other people and you start scapegoating other people so it's a, it's a tough trope um that you have to deal with and you have to find that cause that's greater than yourself. And, um, that's not easy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been, I was radicalized in college as well. Um, when I was in college, it was the early 80s, Reagan, Reagan was elected my first year mm-hmm. in university, and I, I went to a college that had been radical in the 60s. They bombed the ROTC building. It was like a big anti-war college. And by the time I went there, the faculty was radical, left, you know, openly gay, socialist professors and that kind of place. But the student body was right wing. So like George Bush's niece was in wow. my class. I kid you <laughs> not. Crazy. You know what her name was? What? Diddle Bush. Yeah. Not a nickname? I don't know if her mother gave her that name, <laughs> that but everyone insane. called her Diddle. She called what? herself Diddle Bush. And nobody laughed. I mean, talk about some repressed, weird, like country club sexuality there. I'm Diddle even Bush. Weirder. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, lots of guys named Chip, and you know, yeah. the that kind of scene, and like the golf club was big, and wow. lots of green shirts and slacks, and yeah. So it wasn't my scene at all, right? Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I ended up there. That's a long story. But anyway, it turned out really well for me because the, you know, I had all these radical professors and a bunch of fucking uh, country club kids and me. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, you're a lunatic. Come come to right, our party. Right. So I ended up hanging out with professors a lot and I skipped a year and I you know, won all the awards and I was like the star. And, um, and, because there's no competition. Right. I, I, I wasn't the big fish in the small pond. I was like the only fish in yeah. the pond. And um, so, yeah, this was, you know, El Salvador, Nicaragua, the death squads, like all that shit was going down then. And so uh, it was in the air, you know, and, and Carter, you know, I was in high school. Carter came on TV with a sweater and was like, hey, you know what? We need to turn down the thermostats. We need to save energy. We can't Poor keep guy. using. <laughs> he was like a nice, decent we human need to being. Turn, to turn down the thermostat. That's what he said. They called it his malaise speech. That's what the right. You never heard about this? Oh, you got to watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, it comes on <laughs> TV. He so gives a national sad. address. Oh it was during the gas crisis. Where I, I worked in a gas station, actually, right. pumping gas. Cars lined up, you know, oh, around wow. the block, uh, even in odd days. So you could only get gas like three days a week, depending on your license plate number. Uh, rationing is a big deal. And, um, yeah, so he came on TV and he's like, okay, look, because this is the, the formation of OPEC. Yeah. So OPEC, they, these uh, countries got together, formed this cartel, and then started restricting sale of oil to the West. He's like, okay, they got us by the balls here. This is bad. So what we have to do is reduce consumption of petroleum. Don't tell Americans to reduce consumption. I know. That's what happened. And <laughs> so yeah, that was his thing. He put solar panels on the White House. Okay. He uh, came on with his sweater and he's like, hey, just turn down the thermostat a few degrees. When it gets cold, put on a sweater. You know, everything's cool. Uh, reduce the speed limit to 55 nationally. Save tons of, of fuel that way. And so then Reagan came along and he's like, no. Also, he, he introduced the metric system. He's like, hey, let's join the world. The right, metric right, system right. makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Why are we doing this? <laughs> so it was like steps in the right direction, right? And then the right wingers came in and they're like, you know what? Fuck the world. The right. world can join us. 
you know, and the first thing Reagan did was take those fucking solar panels off the White House roof. What a piece of shit. And the yeah. secret negotiations with the hostage. Well, that's the other thing. Things. Yeah. Bush yeah. was over there in Madrid yeah. convincing the Iranians not to release the hostages Can you imagine? until the fucking hour when Reagan was being inaugurated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it was so staged. That's the funny thing about these conspiracies. They're so obvious. Right. They really don't right. give a fuck. Right. That people like us look at it and say, that's obvious because they're not pitching it to us. And they're they, exactly. The, and they used it to discredit Carter anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, so, I mean, I look at what's happening now and to me, it's clear that this is the bitter fruit of the plants that were planted in the early 80s because Reagan was really the first presidency i think that was run by madison avenue Mm -hmm. it was fully Mm -hmm. like this guy's an actor you're gonna go out there and be make people like you meanwhile you know his cabinet yeah um i think five how many people are in the cabinet 10 11 something Mm -hmm. like that five of them had all been on the board of directors of bechtel this private oil engineering company based in san francisco yeah so you got five people come from one company into the fucking you know administration look it's clear what's going on you know and yeah and the when you said that there's no left here what's so infuriating to me is trying to talk to trump supporters and just conservatives in general about that like you you want to blame the left like there's this bizarre false trope or myth about how the left is the reason that we have you know that we're in this nightmare and the left controls everything and the media is all left and liberal and that's again the myth of the liberal media it's like no the left has no power we have no no power yeah there is no what politician talks about the empire like me like what who is calling uh, israel out for its war crimes i mean Mm. where is the left here who's really taking a stand for workers so, I mean, it's just, it's insulting and, and it's just sad that this is where the communication and dialogue is at, where we're so dumbed down that I actually have to tell people, no, this is, this is actually not true. Um, well, you're do trying you find to, that? Yeah. And it, it's frustrating because you're trying to talk about something that no one's ever seen. Yeah. So it's very hard to like point to it and say well that's where it should be and here's what it would look like if it were there but if people have no personal experience of it then they just assume this is the spectrum it's like i don't know to get really weirdly conceptual it's like people think that everything bigger than them is big and everything smaller than them is small and they don't realize that that's actually an infinite scale right you know and you're just arbitrarily picking zero where you (laughs) happen to be but that's not accurate you know good point that's what a hundred years of anti-communism will do i mean you look at back in the early 1900s not even the early 1900s like the mid 1900s i mean there was so many anarchists communists socialists in this country the 20s oh my god wild yeah tens of thousands of people on strike shutting down factories doing all of that and now today people are like don't even know what communism means well they don't think obama's a communist right right and they don't know that those socialists or anarchists or whoever they were are the only thing that got them a five-day work week and that got kids not getting their hands cut off in fucking factories you know like people don't have any historical awareness yeah, yeah, they died for that. Yeah. They died for your right to have a weekend. Have you read uh, A Short History of Progress by Ronald Wright? Why does it sound so familiar? Is that like a... It's a great book. It's it's short. It's 150 <laughs> yeah. pages or something. Um, 
Yeah, it'd be, it would be interesting for you. He looks at, he's a historian, Canadian from uh, BC. He looks at um, every major civilization that's mm. existed uh, from the ancient Sumerians, you know, through uh, the Aztecs and the Mayans and all, and uh, Romans, Greeks. And he shows that they, each empire goes through the same phases and they all become an empire at some point. Uh, and it's like an organic life cycle. And when you see it, and he just takes you through each one. It's like, okay, and here we go. Here's the here's the decadence, you know, where the wealth is being pulled in toward mm-hmm. the center. The ruling class becomes uh, decadent, and the, you know, these things develop. And then the money's being drained in the um, in the expanse, like in the the fringe of the empire, as the empire's reaching out, trying mm-hmm. to extract mm-hmm. more resources mm-hmm. from more distant areas. But the whole thing collapses. It always collapses because it's um, an unsustainable organism the problem with with the u.s empire and the fact that i think it's unique from the examples that you gave chris is that we have 900 military bases not counting the lily pads that the pentagon can't even account for on top of that military personnel and special ops are in almost every country yeah so what i'm curious about is and we are in the death roads in the death throes um but once once we start lashing out, what does that mean for the rest of the world? What does that mean when the U.S. actually does lose this power? I don't think we're going to go down easily or quietly. So I'm worried about that time, which I think is actually going to come soon. Yeah, it feels like it. What he says is that each time history repeats itself, the cost goes up. And Wow, that is such a brilliant... Yeah. Wow. And... This time is unique because this is the first global empire that's going to collapse. Right. Each previous empire was regional. And so people could flee into other areas. There's nowhere to hide now. There's nowhere to go. When this hits, it's going to be global. And it's like naked. I mean, and and everyone's being surveilled. It's like there's nowhere to hide even if you found somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. The only place to hide is in chaos at this point. Yeah. I, I think... You know, like we were talking about the 20s and the 30s, the last time anything really um, politically, I think, moved in a sort of a direction toward the common good was Mm -hmm. in the 30s. You know, FDR, you mentioned earlier. I think we really need a crisis. A crisis is the only thing that wakes people up and they pay attention like, okay, we need help. And like yelling at black people isn't going to help, you know, or (laughs) blaming it on Mexicans isn't going to help. So I think we, I think a collapse is actually kind of a, an opportunity for improvement. I just hope it's not a terrorist attack again, because that could get real, real bad. That'll get ugly. Real quick. It's going to get ugly no matter what. Right. Have you read uh, Rebecca Solnit? She's kind of a Mm -hmm. comrade of arms with you, I think. She's she's badass. She's uh, she writes for Harper's magazine. Oh, cool. um, she's written a bunch of books. Um, yeah, there's a book I I draw from pretty extensively in Civilized to Death uh, called A Paradise Built in Hell. It's about disaster sociology. It's really interesting about how people behave in disasters, um, natural disasters, wars, um, economic collapse, and 
Civilized to Death, this book, which I think, by the way, I think I've finished this week. Nice. That's amazing. I'm doing the like final review before I send it to my editor. My editor may say, no, you're not done. Quite possible. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm done. That's huge. Um, Anyway, there's um, only four years after the sales, the shirts went on sale. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, it's really, it's a fascinating book because, you know, the, the story that we're told is that, you know, this Hobbesian vision of human nature and like society is the only thing that keeps us from raping and pillaging mm-hmm. and destroying each other. And what she found when she surveyed uh, disaster sociology and these people spent their entire lives studying how people actually behave is the exact opposite. When disaster strikes, people help each other. Mm-hmm. strangers they help each other and they look back on it as the most meaningful beautiful time in their lives whether it's bombs falling on london or you know whatever it is and and she quotes one of the founders of disaster sociology saying that after you know his entire 40 50 years whatever studying this he said the conclusion i've come to is that daily life is the disaster because that separates us from each other makes us alone, makes us have lives devoid of meaning, devoid of purpose. It's not when the meteor strikes. This is the disaster. It's before. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. I and mean, it makes sense that, yeah, when something so horrifying is happening, happening, human psychology would latch on to that beautiful moment and something so horrifying. But then again, what is life? Because we don't have those moments either up or down on a daily basis and that's why this book's called civilized to death because i think civilization makes life a living hell it makes it makes life death because it removes meaning it removes fluctuation it removes um yeah the the sort of you know it it uh, sanitizes you know like air conditioning makes us fat you know because our bodies want to respond to changes in temperature it's good for us metabolism is constantly Mm -hmm. adjusting so when you remove that adjustment and just smooth everything out we just get unhealthy and unhappy and yeah civilized to death there it is there's the plug for my book why why do you think that so many people you know we have the world's wealth at our fingertips and obviously you know it goes back to people believing things that aren't true um whether it's human psychology to just believe something that's repeated enough. I know that repetition is something that, you know, your brain just automatically thinks that that's true if you just heard it said enough times. But just religion is just so mind-boggling to me because I get, I think Islam is a little bit different. You know, I'm not going to question why people in Gaza are Muslim. Like, obviously, there's different circumstances for different uh, religions and, and civilizations. But I just find it really fascinating how strong religion is still considering how much we know have you studied that at all um not formally Mm -hmm. but you know i've got opinions on everything (laughs) (laughs) the fact that i haven't studied it doesn't stop me from opining um you know i think the appeal of religion is sort of refers to what i was just saying earlier i think that secular life has drained the meaning out of our existence so anything that adds meaning uh can be very compelling and religion provides meaning for a lot of people Mm -hmm. so does joining a street gang Mm -hmm. um so does being you know crazily aligned with a sports team 
you know, like grown men walking around with another man's name on their shirt. Like, mm-hmm. what is up with that? Mm-hmm. That's pretty weird. So I think like um, we have a natural compulsion to align ourselves with something larger than ourselves, something that will persist after we're gone, gives us a sense of uh, respite from mortality, you know. It's just so irritating to me that so many people live to die. It's the living to to die. You're living, this isn't real, right? But you're living to basically end up in heaven or whatever you think that the afterlife is. Yeah. And so this is, you just don't, you just take all of this for granted, even though this is fucking life, dude. This is, this is yeah. what it is. I think sexual frustration is important as well, yeah. um, especially for men. Um, for women, it is as well, but in different ways. But as far as what we're talking about here with empire and all that, there's um, a guy named James Prescott who was a psychologist who was very interested in what kind of correlation there was between sexual repression and violence in societies. So he went to the anthropological mm-hmm. data bank and looked at every society for which the, these factors had been measured. And he found that uh, I think it was like 28 societies had all this data available and all but one of them, there was... Um, uh, highly significant correlation between how sexually repressed the society was and how violent it was. So this is a correlation. So we don't know what causes what, but if you are going, if, if you have a society that is uh, expansionist as an mm-hmm. empire mm-hmm. always is, and you need aggressive young men to go and kill people without asking too many questions sexual repression is a very good way to generate those men so i think it's interesting when you look at um you know american society that's very repressed even though it's like freedom we think we're free but it's actually we're we're very incredibly sexually repressed yeah and you know we've got our guys out shooting people all over the place and then you go to where where are they shooting people or one right. of the main places you got the fucking taliban and you know these guys who are incredibly sexually repressed and the only way they're ever going to get laid is to go to heaven and get their virgins nuts and they're all believing it that's why i find it so funny that sex is used to i mean it it makes sense because of how repressed our society is but we're so we glorify violence so fucking much where i can turn on tv and see a guy's head being bashed in a million times but the butts on you know are are blurred out (laughs) like i can't see a human being's ass but i can see guts and brains and someone being violently raped over and over and over again right but then it's just it just makes sense and then you see in every single advertisement it's just sex selling it because what do you do to make people want a product that they don't need in a society that's completely sexually repressed and puritanical well you make it look like a dick or that you know you're gonna get laid or emulate an orgasm and and there you go you're buying coke that you you didn't want um it's the fascinating. Thing. It's fascinating, yeah. man. And uh, it's bad here. It's really, really bad. You know about Edward Bernays? Yeah. 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 He's, the the he's piano room. Guy. And what's the piano room? Bernays, who's the nephew of Sigmund Freud, um, you know, started, he was basically the father of modern propaganda. But one of his big ad campaigns, and this is so funny because I grew up in a family that had a piano, even though none of us really knew how to play it. But this was sold to families decades ago that you needed a music room 
a music room makes you really cool. Your friends like you. You're a yeah. socialite. But what do you put in a music room? Obviously, a guitar is just going to be on the set. You need a piano for the music room. So he right. basically got contracted by a big piano company who made this giant thing. You just you just want a music room. You don't yeah. know why. You just want it because you'll well, be cool. He invented cool. bacon and eggs. <laughs> so I mean, because the pork companies hired him. <laughs> And I love my favorite is the feminist cigarettes. Oh yes, You've the victory. What are they way, called? Baby. The victory sticks. The victory march. Yeah, yeah or victory sticks. Yeah. Right. But it was Benson. And, no, no. But it was um, wasn't Benson. And, it was Virginia Slims. Yeah, yeah. Marketing cigarettes to feminists. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. What a weird. Sucks. What a. So my theory is, and here you know, people who listen to this podcast have heard me talk about this before, so I, I'll try to be brief, but. I don't think there's a conspiracy. I've, I've, this is another thing I do in Civilized to Death. I think the 1% are as fucked as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more so. Because they think they should be happy. And they're not. So you climb the mountain. You spend your whole life climbing up that mountain. You get to the top and you're like, fuck, it's no better here. I've been lied to. And, you know, the rest of us who are still trying to climb the mountain, we still have this belief that if I could only get to the top, if I could only get there, I got to keep working. If I could only be rich and famous and, you know, whatever, have the big house. But the people who get it, they realize that it's all a con. Mm -hmm. Um, And so either they get very depressed, like um, Jim Carrey or somebody like that, who gets up there and is like, oh, shit, there's no view from up here. Or... They just continue the game by being then competitive, like I'm not as rich as Bill Gates, I gotta keep working, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I look at it is there's no, it's not like we're playing poker at your house, so if I lost 20 bucks, you must have won 20 bucks. It's like we're playing poker in a casino where we've both lost 20 bucks, or I lost 40, you lost 20. So where's all that money going? Who's the winner? Who's the house in this? And so I've come up with this idea that it's a super organism, that we're embedded in a living thing the same way the bacteria is embedded in our guts or ants are embedded in an anthill or birds flock or salmon school or something like that. There's this emergent intelligence that is actually a living thing that it's impossible for us to really uh, conceptualize because we're embedded within it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what institutions are. That's what corporations are and religions and governments. They're actually living things that we, our energies feed into and their agendas are separate from ours. So that's why they can destroy the world. We say like, why are we destroying the world? It makes no sense that human beings would destroy the planet that we need to survive. It's because we're not doing it. Right, exactly. The institution's doing it. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a living machine. Right. And the people who, let's say a board member says, you know what, I'm not actually going to vote for this. They'll be pushed out of the board. They'll be gone by lunch. Exactly. Right. So that just shows people don't run corporations. Corporations run people. Exactly. And it's what we were saying about Obama earlier. It doesn't matter how decent he is if he really tries to do something to change the trajectory he'll be gone the trajectory will win every time so in light of that that's why i asked you if if i Mm -hmm. thought you would get weary because i've come to this you know i was really fucking angry when i was 33 Mm -hmm. about this kind of stuff about politics i was tripping a lot so i was happy about (laughs) how beautiful rainbows were and seashells but and I was really happy with, you know, 
on the micro level with like mm-hmm. love and sex mm-hmm. and food and travel and you know I was I was living a good life but I could see around me that things were just getting worse and worse and now at, at 56 I've sort of come to this thing where it's like oh we're embedded in these other organisms that are running their own show and I'm tired like I'm tired of being angry because I feel like it doesn't matter you know like for me this book I've written civilized to death I I hope will I guess it's like okay I've said it now now Mm -hmm. like I've done what I can do Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to change anything Mm -hmm. do you feel like like there's a chance of changing things or are you just observing or what what do you see your role as going forward well I do think there's a chance of changing things because you know someone like you would know better than anyone that things are never static and they're always constant and moving and fluid and um, I just don't think that looking at the parameters of human civilization in terms of like capitalism as being the best that we can do given the um, egregious inequality and misery and suffering so I think that I'm going to keep pushing until the day I die I don't think that I'm going to see like huge monumental change but it doesn't mean that it's not coming and every you know just meeting people at these events that I do and Hundreds of people have told me that I've changed their entire outlook. I'm sure that you've you've experienced this too, and brought someone either purpose or or new outlook on on sex or relationships or let's say Palestine for me um, to have someone wake up to that. That's just one thing that just you know out of out of hundreds of people and out of thousands of you know viewpoints that they've put out there in an exponential way that it's it's tough to really accumulate and say you know everything that I've done is worth it because I have this, you know, summary in front of me of, of people who've woken up. But I, I don't think that's a reason to stop. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you have to understand your place as well. And you have to understand what you're saying as well. You can't have expectations and you can't think that it's just going to take one person and we're just going to, you know, fight the system and then, and then replace it. I mean, it, it is an organism and the organisms are working together. The empire is a global entity. Um, and it is a machine that that's operating in a global way and and not one person or even a million are going to stop that and it's just going to it's going to come eventually but it's going to come with cataclysmic cataclysmic changes um that potentially most of humanity won't survive i mean i don't know what's going to happen but i think that when we have nuclear weapons that could destroy the earth multiple times over um and we're at a level right now where we basically act like barbarians I mean, we, we aren't at the place now where we can work out our fucking problems like human beings. We're at the place where we hear fantasies about, you know, Kim Jong-un and Putin. It's like, why don't we talk to these people? Go have a conversation with them. Like, go sit down and have a conversation with them. I just can't, I just can't handle reading these stories day after day telling me um, how, you know, just these fantasy myths about these countries that were told are our enemies. I mean, I just don't buy any of it, Chris. I know I went off on a really long tangent. It's tough to say. It's tough to say where we're going to go, but it's not a reason to stop. Mm. I can't think of a better way to end it. (laughs) (laughs) Stop when you said it's not a reason to stop. Thank you. Thank you. I, I feel like we could go on for hours, I know. but I know we've got people waiting for us. It was We're really go fun. Have dinner. Yeah, it was really fun. I can't wait to read your new book, man. Get it out there. Yeah. If my if my editor, I've already decided. If the publishers don't like it, fuck it. I'll just self publish it. Of I'll, course. I'll give them their money back. 
I mean, if they if they bring it back to you and they're like just full of red lines and tape. And all well, I mean, stuff. I don't mind if this grammatical stuff, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. Like editing is fine, yeah. but if if it's political, because it's pretty yeah. political. Yeah. And I mean, the first I th- turned in a draft a little while ago where I talked about the superorganism stuff, and my editor was like, "You sound crazy here." I'm like, mm. that's it's yeah. so true. Then isn't that funny though? It's like seems so obvious, but you're like, wait, you really don't get what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I mean, he he had a point. He was like, you know, this is kind of like the beginning of another book right and you're trying to tack it in yeah, here true. And i think he was right about that true but he was also scared by it because it, yeah. it sounded too crazy for him yeah so. once we once our agency is removed we feel helpless and we feel like we don't have a place when we can no longer project yeah. that we can shape our reality but a lot of the times we can't and it's about accepting that we we can't yeah, well, I think that that old adage, think globally, act locally, yeah. makes a lot of sense, not only in terms of its effectiveness, but also keeping sane, you know, because it's it's so hard. You know, how how are we going to change Venezuela, you mm-hmm. know, unless we're living in Venezuela and mm-hmm. then we might change our neighborhood or our block or, you know, help a family member. But that's why I focus on ending the U.S. empire, because Venezuela is a perfect example if the U.S gets its pause and military might out of all these countries in the rest of the world. And I don't buy into the argument. I hear people say all the time, well, if the U.S. wasn't doing it, then China or Russia would. And I don't buy the fact that we need an empire that subjugates the masses um, in order to be a civilization that's functioning. I just don't buy that at all. So I, I focus on ending the U.S. empire because I feel like it is the the majority of the world's suffering um, is because of what we've done, Chris. And, you know, look at Latin America alone. We've intervened 56 times to usurp the democratic processes of millions, tens of millions of people and have just caused an untold amount of damage and destruction. So... I focus on what I can do as an American citizen. People want to do, you know, why don't you talk about this or why don't you do that? It's like, look, I'm an American and we have so much work to do here. And that's why I feel like ending this system here is the only thing that I can do to really help bring some sort of change. And if it happens on a menial level, on a micro level, that's fine too. But we have to keep talking about these bigger picture issues because we have to make people understand that all of this is a symptom of the same system. I, I really do think it is. So focusing on just one or, or another, um, we have to talk about this in a global sense that um, capitalism and, and empires are expansionist. And unless we address that at its root, I, I fear we're just going to encounter more of the same. Endless growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. Wow. Talk about micro level and macro right, level, right? Right. We are the bacteria. Yeah, you know, I I think, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. I I think that as the bullshit collapses, voices like yours are going to become more and more important. Because I think people, there's a line I always quote from uh, Arthur Miller, the playwright, who said, an era can be considered over when its basic illusions have been exhausted. And I feel like we're at a moment where every basic illusion of Western civilization is exhausted religion government wall street the military sports like everybody everybody is coming around to the idea of pharmaceuticals modern medicine everybody's coming around to this understanding like oh this is all bullshit this isn't working this is all collapsing and when people 
come to that when they hit that wall they start looking for other options and that's when you know someone like you who has a global perspective on things can be uh, a lifeline i wonder what the person that you were talking about doing the research of disaster ronald Wright. yeah i wonder what he would say about just what you just said how when people have lost faith in every institution what what do humans do to react to that kind of emptiness in a different way where it's not, you know, you're coming out of religion. It's not that you just got awakened to politics. It's everything. Yeah. I think people go through depression. I think yeah. so. some people go, are depressed. Use mushrooms. Yeah, really. No, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, psychedelics are, are part of a response to that in a way. Mm-hmm. Like people are like, I got no meaning in my life. And when you look at, Addiction, a lot of times, addiction provides meaning. It provides community. It provides ritual. So if you can find that stuff in a way that isn't destructive, I think people turn to that. Anyway, thank you for doing this. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. Good talking to you. Hope you enjoyed that. All right. I always forget to do this uh, this outro thing because I figure by the end of an hour and a half of this, you're tired of listening to me. But anyway... Uh, I already talked about Patreon and Amazon, but I should um, give some appreciation to Basin and Range. They did that uh, little snippet of music that I always use at the beginning. The song is called Bright Side of the Sun. You can uh, hear the whole song, which gets wild. I really recommend it. And the rest of their music at basinandrange.bandcamp.com. Uh, there's a Reddit community. If you do Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T, just search Tangentially Speaking. There are several thousand people on there who talk about episodes, and I drop in and say hi and eavesdrop and make people feel awkward when they're talking about me. Uh, so go to Reddit and join that. There's, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the um, Tangentially Speaking Clips uh, that Jack put together, uh, they're on YouTube. Go to YouTube and search TS Clips or Tangentially Speaking Clips. There's a whole channel of them. And Jack would love for you to tell him what you enjoy um, so that he knows what to do. His email for that is tsbestof at gmail. So if there's a particular episode that you'd like to see a clip of, you can uh, just get in touch with him and let him know, and I guess he'll he'll get on it. He's got a whole bunch of them up there already. I also wanted to remind you, if you are interested in helping out with the eBooks that we're putting together, uh, the first two episodes are on sex and on drugs and consciousness. So if you're interested in working on either of those, um, you would be partly transcribing, and you'd also be helping to choose what parts of what episode you think uh, really need to be included so it's not just a grunge sort of uh, drudge work it's also uh, you have some creative input to the process you can reach out to Aaron at ts1sex um, at gmail.com that's ts as in tangentially speaking one because it's the first edition of the sex ebook uh, at gmail.com and if you're more interested in working on the drugs and consciousness ebook that's ts1 drugs and you'll be reaching out to miguel uh, ts1 drugs at gmail.com all right i guess that's all is there anything else i'm looking at my my paper stuck to the wall over there 
And I think that's pretty much all I have to say on my list there. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm sorry if I've forgotten something. I have various people who are helping with things and they say, don't forget to mention this or that. And invariably I do. And then I feel like a dork. But that's appropriate because I am kind of a dork. And lastly, of course, many thanks to the great Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey at carseyblanton.com. She's normally on tour, and if she comes to a town near you, definitely go check her out. She's amazing in person. And uh, here's a little ditty that she recorded just for us, an acoustic version of her great song, Smoke Alarm. Here's to you, Bennett and Justin. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say to the ground.